bigger question is, do you need that alcohol just to live? That's what Paul meant in Ephesians 5, 18 when he said, and do not get drunk with wine for that is debauchery. Be under the influence of the Holy Spirit. Finding freedom from the bondage of alcohol. This is Moments of Hope with David Chadwick. The number of families negatively affected by alcohol abuse is staggering. It's often called the secret family sin. So what does scripture say about this? Today, we'll hear David speak to us heart to heart in a message he simply calls alcohol. So the barstool movement is what caused prohibition and it lasted for several decades, but it didn't last forever. Why? Because through speakeasies, people could find alcohol, they would continue to drink, and people understood eventually that even though laws help regulate society and keep people from doing bad things, you can't legislate the changing of a human heart. The only way you can change a human heart to desire to do right is with the gospel of Jesus Christ, which changes a heart that's stony into a heart that's filled with love. So prohibition vanished in the 1920s because people's hearts still yearn for alcoholism. And the problem, dear friends, is continuing to grow, I would even say proliferating today. So let me try to answer some of the questions that you have sent in this week, and hopefully I can address this very difficult problem from a biblical perspective. The first question is this one. Are Christians called to abstain completely from alcohol? Well, from the verses that I read in the Bible, you must obviously see that alcohol was accepted in Jesus' day, in creation, throughout the Bible. Drinking in moderation is okay. It's much like food. God says, eat food, don't become a glutton. The same is true with alcohol. God created it to gladden man's heart, Psalm 104, but you're not supposed to be drunk. You're not supposed to be intoxicated. You're not supposed to become inebriated. You're not to have the buzz. At that point, you've crossed the line. Now, now some people have suggested that the word wine in the Bible is a word that can be used for fermented or unfermented wine. So therefore, when it's used in the Bible, it's really talking about unfermented wine. It's talking about grape juice. Now, there are several problems with that interpretation. And I'll give you several just quickly, with great respect for those who are honored, who have a completely different position than I do. But first of all, if the Bible's talking about wine as being unfermented, why in the world does it ever dress drunkenness? Who has ever gotten drunk on grape juice? (laughs) Secondly, Jesus is the one in his first miracle who changed water into wine. And the master of the feast tasted Jesus' new wine, the last wine, and said, it's better than the first. How can grape juice be better than the first? There's something in the fermenting quality that causes a new sparkling wine to be better than what was offered to begin with. Moreover, Jesus taught that when the kingdom of God comes upon a person's life or comes upon a church's life or comes upon a culture's life, it's like placing wine into old wineskins. It bursts forth the old wineskins. You need, therefore, new wineskins to put the wine inside. Grape juice can't break apart even an old wineskin. 
It's the emission of the gaseous substances from the wine that causes the wine skin to break apart. So Jesus must be talking about fermented wine. And finally, Jesus himself was called a drunkard and a wine-bibber. Now, why in the world would he be called a drunkard if he didn't drink some wine? Some people have suggested, well, they just used that as a way to castigate him, to criticize him. But that doesn't make any sense. If everybody knew he didn't drink, that criticism of him would have no punch whatsoever. So it looks like wine was created by God to gladden the heart that it was intended by him to be enjoyed, but in moderation, never crossing that line to addiction, to drunkenness, to inebriation, to the buzz, never intended. Next question. Is alcohol a sin or a disease? My answer, yes. Both, in my opinion. Now remember, there's a genetic predisposition to alcohol. No question about that. There's scientific evidence to support it. But there's not a genetic predetermination to alcohol. In other words, no one held a gun to your head and said to you, you must take that first drink. You chose to do so. And then you move from that first drink to a total dependence upon alcohol. Then alcohol became your God. Folks, that's what sin is. Sin is using anything, including sports, your spouse, your job, anything that takes preeminence over God himself. That's what an idol is. So at some point in predetermination, you chose to continue to make alcohol your God. That's sin. But at some point in your brain's makeup, you crossed that line and it became an addiction. Your brain changed with its neurotransmitters. It became an addiction. At that point, it's a disease. It's a disease that needs to be cured. Through AA, God bless them. If you go to AA, praise God. Some people say to me, oh, I don't like AA. It talks about a higher power, not Jesus. Then call your higher power Jesus. I don't care how you're set free. Just be set free. And this whole idea of your body being under the control of a substance is a disease. And what I've come to realize is some of you who are alcoholics... You need me to say that it's a disease, and I understand why. You feel such shame, such guilt for what you've done to your lives and those around you, and I don't want you to feel that shame anymore. I want you to know the grace and forgiveness of my risen Savior. So alcohol is both a disease and it's sin. Let me share even more particularly now to different groups of you. First of all, to you young people, particularly teens, but even younger than teens who are beginning to experiment with alcohol. Um, you ask me, why can't I drink? It's at every party. Why can't I? Here's my answer. It's illegal. It's against the laws of the state. And God, in Romans 13, verses 1 through 7, has allowed the government to exist to place laws upon its people to guard against immorality, godlessness, hurt, and pain. The state of North Carolina has said the legal drinking age is 21. 
If you're not 21, you cannot drink. It's illegal. Harsh, but true. And if you choose to do so, you just need to know you're drinking, you're breaking the laws of the state of North Carolina. You're also breaking the laws of God. You're disobeying your creator. My daughter, Bethany, chose not to drink. That was her decision. She chose to abstain from alcohol altogether. And I honestly felt good about that. In middle school, high school, and college, she was constantly pressured to drink the party she went to. And whenever she got pressured, here was her answer. It's against the law. You shouldn't be drinking at all. And you know, interestingly, her friends respected her. She didn't get rejected, but that was her answer. Two parents. I have heard from several different sources that there are parents who say, well, I need to give my teens alcohol in my home at their parties so that I can rightly oversee their behavior. If they're out there, wherever, I can't oversee them, but if they're here, I can oversee them. Here's my answer. It's illegal. It's illegal. And if you supply alcohol to a minor and that minor leaves your premises and has a car accident and kills someone, you can be charged as an accessory to murder. But even more so, Romans 13 verses 1 through 7 says, God has authored the government to oversee laws for our benefit and our health. If you supply alcohol to your sons or daughters or to their friends, it's illegal. You're breaking the laws of the state of North Carolina and you are breaking the law of God. The final thing I would say to you is, what? In the name of Jesus. What are you doing? Do you have a screw loose in your brain? What are you thinking? Yes, teach your children about alcohol and its dangers and model for them how to do it rightly. It's not giving alcohol to teens, to singles. You say to me, I want to meet somebody and I just got to go to the parties or I got to go to the bars. Let me remind you the three reasons for alcohol drinking in our culture is, first of all, fellowship. Secondly, to escape. If any of you, much less singles, need alcohol to medicate yourself, to make it through the day, you've crossed the line. And finding your true self, this whole question, and all of the questions I'll be dealing with over the next several weeks, is really a question of who are you? What's your identity? and you feel you need alcohol to release your true you, those primitive inhibitions which cause you sometimes to take drinks or a pill that's been placed into your drink that causes you to pass out where you then have a date rape occur? And some of you tell me, you know, I don't even understand it. I drink and then I sleep with this guy and then I sleep with him again. What's going on, David? And I say to you, don't you understand? You're looking for someone for your life's identity. And you're willing to sell yourself to do so. Alcohol can't be your identity. It can only be found in the living Lord Jesus Christ. To everyone, may I just talk to you from my heart. I wish, like everything, that every one of us had within a gauge where we knew when we crossed that line from one drink to several that it's too much. So let me give you 
some ideas. First of all, make a commitment to just have one drink. Moderation, not drunkenness. Or here's something else you can do that is quite biblical that I would wholeheartedly support. Make a commitment to abstinence. Decide today you don't want to drink. Interestingly, to prepare for this message, I wrote um, our friends in Africa. I asked them, what do your pastors teach about alcohol? The, the response was fascinating. In, in Africa, both the people I wrote said, you, you cannot take an absolute stand against alcohol biblically, which, which I've already taught you. You can't. It's just not there. But they said, every single African pastor preaches abstinence. Why? Because they've seen the destructive quality to the individual and to their families. In fact, in Ethiopia, when someone's baptized, they raise their hands to Jesus, they put their hands down before they're baptized to alcohol. They reject it. Again, because they know of its destructive power. In India, most of the people coming to faith in Jesus now are in the delete class, the, the lowest class, the poverty class. And when people work in the factories all day long, they're exhausted, but they know that if they spend their money on alcohol, their families are dangerously close to the precipice of total poverty. And they know the little bit they make is what their family needs just to exist. So interestingly, on their ways home where they walk, there are stands that like here sell hot dogs or fish and chips or whatever. As they're walking home, there's stands selling alcohol, trying to lure this poor class that are desperate and tired to buy alcohol with their earned wages. So the pastors in India teach absolute abstinence. Absolute. Why? So that those families don't fall into poverty. So I give you permission to be an African or an Indian if you so choose. Why? Well, well first of all, you don't know if you have that gene. You don't know. And as I've told my kids, it's in our family. You just need to know in Maryland's in my gene pool, it's there. And if you partake, you're rolling the dice whether you might get it. So abstinence, I'll support that. Good choice. Secondly, you can choose not to drink for the lesser brother and sister in Christ. That's what Paul meant in Romans 14, 21, when he said it's good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. Say, we don't want to have alcohol in any gathering. Why? Because there might be somebody who's struggling with it, a lesser brother, a weaker person in Christ who's struggling with it, and our having it might cause them to stumble. Marilyn and I made the decision not to drink publicly. Why? Because for some reason in God's economy, he's decided to make me public. I don't get it. I'm basically an introvert. I like my times of privacy. But I love to preach God's word, so it's giving me a large following of people. And I don't know who's watching me when. If my public actions caused a lesser, weaker brother or sister to fall into alcoholism, it would break my heart. So we've chosen not to drink publicly because we don't want to cause anybody who watches us to think, oh, it's okay. And it might spark the genetic predisposition to alcoholism. Or finally, it might be just a witness you have. It might be you choose to abstain so that when people ask you, why are you abstaining, you can say, I'm a follower of Jesus and give you a chance to share Christ. Abstinence is okay. It is acceptable before the Lord. 
It is. There's nothing wrong with it. In fact, it has great honor in many respects. So the bottom line, and the key question, who or what controls your life? That's the question. You can't teach biblically, you can never drink, but you can teach, if you drink, moderation, and never to drunkenness, never to inebriation, never to the buzz, never, ever. But the bigger question is, do you need that alcohol just to live? That's what Paul meant in Ephesians 5, 18, when he said, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. Being drunk can lead to so many problems. We've already said that. So many difficulties. It leads to debauchery. But be filled with the Holy Spirit. Be under the influence of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's not a thing. Dear friends, the Holy Spirit's a person. He's the third person of the Godhead. One God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. When we accept Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes to reside within us. So we are under the influence of the third person of the Godhead, who is Jesus himself, who died on the cross to forgive us of our sins and give us his love, grace, kindness, and mercy. Here's what I've learned in life. The only thing that frees us from our addictions and problems is to love something more than the addiction and the problem. And Jesus came to die on the cross to forgive me of my sins. He indwells my heart. He shares with me daily how much he loves me, cares for me, gives to me. And in that love, I choose to love him more than anything of this world that's passing. You're listening to Moments of Hope with David Chadwick. Coming up, David and I discuss how God uses exclamation marks to send us in the right direction. We'll be right back. This is the Ministry Minute, focusing on ministries that have a positive impact on our community. I'm Mark McManus, and here is Jim Noble with the Dream Center Charlotte. Hello, my name is Jim Noble with the Charlotte Mecklenburg Dream Center. And Bo and I, the director of the Dream Center, wanted to take a minute and tell you guys thank you. Moments of hope. David and Marilyn Chadwick, all of you there, Dean, we all have been phenomenal for us. Uh, you, you've been there since 08 when we started King's Kitchen, and that kind of grew into the Dream Center. And the meals we've fed the last eight weeks, probably exceeding 55,000 now, I guess. Uh, we're so grateful you guys have made such an impact in the city by reaching out to those that have needs greater than we have. And uh, what do you think, Bud? Yeah, so it's been amazing to, to just watch the, the work that's happened um, with the meals as they've gone out. You know, uh, we, I always tell people it's not about the food, it's about the relationships that are formed and the ministry that takes place. And so, um, and JT Williams and Thomasboro and Reed Park, I mean, it has opened up doors that we never thought would be open. Um, you know, we've seen people come out um, and just welcomed us with open arms, just so grateful for the meals and, and we just thank you moments of hope and just this couldn't be this wouldn't be possible without you guys and you know uh the, the first call we made uh when we decided to go this route and provide these meals was the moments of hope and it was uh, a phone call that was met with a resounding yes and so we're so appreciative of you guys and just um everything you all do for us and for the kingdom and not only that but you uh, also set into our kitchen in the dream center now this week started producing meals there and as the restaurants open back up, all the meals will shift to the Dream Center with the kitchen you helped us do. So we're so grateful for you guys. God bless you. God bless Moments of Hope. And we just 
pray an unlimited return and harvest on the seed you sowed into this ministry. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening to Moments of Hope. I'm Jen Houston, and with me is our pastor, David Chadwick. David, thanks so much for being with us today. It's a privilege being with you, Jen. Thank you. In your Morning E-Devotion series, you've recently started a series called Davidisms. Can you share about where these came from? I can, Jen. Uh, They are pithy little phrases that I've used through the years. I've learned them from other people, mentors, coaches, my dad. Uh, They are things I've actually thought of myself sometimes. And as I have taught them to people, they are easy to remember. People have said to me through the years, you ought to put these down on paper. Mm -hmm. I have. If anybody wants to get them on a paper in their inbox every morning at 7 a.m., they can go to momentsofhopechurch.org and subscribe there. They're free of charge. My heart to yours to start your day with a moment of hope. But these Davidisms are just truths I've learned through the years, common sense little phrases, easy again to remember that people have really enjoyed. And I've got a fun one today, Jen. Well, I would really enjoy hearing about this one. You said, don't put a question mark where God has put an exclamation point. Yeah, this is a good one, and it's one I've learned to live by. Here's the truth. There are many things in our life that we just don't understand. Everybody agree with that one? (laughs) (laughs) Difficult situations or circumstances in which God has closed a door, ended a season, and said, I have a different plan for your direction in life. In God's infinite wisdom, he chooses what to and not to reveal to us. That's Deuteronomy 29, 29. There are certain things in God's mind he just doesn't explain to us, often to protect our hearts, I think. But what God does choose to reveal to us is important. He expects us in obedience to trust him whether we understand or not. And we must especially trust God with the exclamation point. What is that? That is the emphatically shut and locked door. It's when life comes to us and there's no other option except to say there's another plan. Mm. And we don't put a question mark there. We don't keep pondering why. We accept God's exclamation mark that that season, that door is shut, Mm. done, permanently. We recognize that God has closed and locked the door for a reason. We may not understand that, but we trust him. We move forward in faith, continuing to believe in his healing grace. We don't question the why. If we do, we're ultimately questioning God's goodness and faithfulness. Instead, we trust God with whatever, with his answer, and our trust then builds our faith. So here's the key. Don't put a question mark where God has put an exclamation mark. Continue to trust him. He knows why he has done what he has done. He's done it so his perfect plan for our life can occur, Jeremiah 29, 11. And again, that's what faith is, mm-hmm. trusting God with no matter what may be happening in our lives. He's good. He's working everything for his glory. God, thank you. This is so powerful and so relevant to many conversations that are going around in our society right now. This is really, really powerful. God's in control. He has a plan. He wants us to trust him, particularly in areas of our lives where there are disappointments. We continue to trust him because we will not put a question mark where God has put an exclamation mark. That's a Davidism that I think all of us not only need to live by, we need to move forward with 
in whatever may come to us in our lives today and forever. Well, thank you so much for being with us today, David. My pleasure, Jen. Listeners, thank you all for listening today to this moment of hope. This has been Moments of Hope with David Chadwick, Senior Pastor of Moments of Hope Church. Today's message is from our online worship service, and you can be a part of that service each Sunday morning at both 9 and 11 o'clock by going to momentsofhopechurch.org. And while you're online, be sure to sign up for David's daily Moments of Hope delivered every morning to your inbox. And also check out David's weekly HopeCast. They're both free and available through our website. Again, that web address is momentsofhopechurch.org. For David and the entire Moments of Hope Church staff, this is Jen Houston asking you to pray for the leadership of our schools 